Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. So glad that you are joining me today. And we've been going through beliefs that every believer should believe. And we're on belief number 11. And I've called this belief the belief that I am what I worship. I am what I worship. I find that everybody's worshiping something. As a matter of fact, the New York Times is profiling a movement called Fictosexuals. Now that is a new term to me and probably a new term to you, but these are people who consider themselves married to a fictional character, whether a doll or a character or even a video game or a similar person. Uh, One person who married a doll wants us to know that as artificial intelligence and robotics allow for more profound interactions with the animate, the number of fictosexuals is likely to increase. Well, I guess that's an example of us worshiping something and uh, the God of sex, I guess we could call that. And uh, as we think about worship, everybody is worshiping something. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, how in the world did we get here? Well, let's look at a passage of scripture that is going to be the backdrop for the message today. Psalm 95. And as we look at Psalm 95, David has given us this exhortation. He says, come. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Today, if you would hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as they did in Meribah, as they did in that day of Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation, and I said, they are a people whose hearts have gone astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared in my oath, they shall never enter into my worship. Well, today, I want to talk to you about four components of worship. Number one is the delight of worship. Uh, Secondly, we'll look at the devotion of worship. Number three, we'll look at the duty of worship. And then lastly, we'll talk about the derivative or the benefit of worship. Let's begin with number one the delight of worship. Well, how do we delight in worship? Well, the first two verses of the psalm that we just read tells us to sing for joy to the Lord. Shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and praise. These are songs of joy. They are loud with exuberance, with thanksgiving, with music and song. I guess it's kind of how you would cheer for your team as they have just scored a touchdown in the closing seconds of the fourth quarter, and you just won the Super Bowl. You know, we get excited about something. I've noticed when I get excited about something, well, this is true for you as well. When we get excited about something, we raise our voices. Uh, Your team just hit a home run, and you won the game in the bottom of the ninth inning, or your team has just sunk a three-pointer to give you the lead in the final seconds of sudden death overtime. What do you do? You go crazy, right? 
As a matter of fact, in many athletic events, uh, they'll start playing that song by Ozzy Osbourne, right? Crazy Train. And it starts playing and the fans go wild. Well, why don't we have that same delight when it comes to worship? You see, our God is above all of those gods. He is great and he is greatly to be praised. His hands formed all that we see and everything belongs to him. But it's so easy, I think, for us to take it for granted. Just go ho-hum and take it for granted. Every time we breathe in air or or we exhale, uh, we take for granted that God is the one who has given us his oxygen. God is the one who has given us the capacity to breathe and to have life. You know, when Harry Truman became president, he worried about losing touch with the common everyday Americans, right? And so he'd often go about, and uh, those were simpler days where the president just could go out for a walk like everybody else. And so one evening, he decided to take a walk down to the Memorial Bridge on the Potomac River. And he was kind of curious about the mechanisms on that bridge and how it lowered and how it raised. And, and he made his way across the catwalks, and he came across the bridge tender who was eating his evening supper out of a tin bucket. Now, the man showed absolutely no surprise when he looked up and he saw the best known and the most powerful man in the world. He just swallowed his food, wiped his mouth, smiled and said, you know, Mr. President, I was just thinking about you. Well, according to Truman's biographer, it was that great meeting, that great greeting that Truman adored and never forgot. That little phrase, I was just thinking of you. You know, the Lord adores us when we say, I'm just thinking about you, Lord. I mean, when was the last time you prayed unto the Lord and said, Lord, I don't want anything. I don't have any urgent needs. I just want to let you know, Lord, I'm just thinking about you. The psalmist says, let us, that is a community of believers, come and adore God, worshiping and singing about him. You know, I feel depressed sometimes. I I try not to think about why I'm so depressed. I think about why I'm so blessed. And as a result, my spirits are lifted. So as we think about worship, everybody's worshiping something. I want to challenge you to have all of your devotions to the Lord. Take delight in Him and what He has done for us. Well, the psalmist also talks about what devotion of worship is all about. You know, how do we go about showing devotion to God? Well, the psalmist says that you bow down and you kneel before the Lord, our Maker, because we are His sheep the sheep of his pasture. And so we show devotion because of what he has done for us, bowing down, kneeling before our Lord, our maker. As we look at John 10, 27, Jesus said these words and it explains to us why we should show him devotion. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus is reminding us here that we recognize his voice, and he knows us, and we know him, and we follow him. Why do we follow him? Because we recognize his voice. Why do we follow him? Because he's given us everlasting life. Why do we follow him? Because we will never perish. No one can snatch us out of the Father's hands because we have been radically transformed. Ad executive Douglas Adkin noted that a transformation has taken place in what's expected of the typical ad executive of a major corporation. Rather than being responsible for design and packaging and and promotion, the brand manager is now asking to create a meaning system for people through which they get identity 
and an understanding of the world. So advertising is asked to induce devotion by investing products with transcendence. So Adkin asked himself, what makes people exhibit cult-like devotion? So he decided to do a study of those who have been caught up in cults. And so he undertook a study of cults precisely in order to figure out how brands could induce loyalty beyond reason. When he heard people talking about the sneakers or the paper plates or whatever product that they have, and he was using terms of described as evangelical, he realized that people join brands for the same reason they join cults and religions. They join to belong and to make meaning. They ceased being merely customers and now identified themselves as disciples, as members of the tribe. Whether the tribe was a Volkswagen owner or Starbucks drinker or or Mac users, the advertisements for these products do not convey information about them. Rather, they tell stories. They picture worlds of meaning, and they invite us to see ourselves within them. He concluded by saying, the goal of such marketing, now this is very secular, right? The goal of such marketing, concludes, is to fill the empty spaces where non-commercial institutions like schools and churches might have once done the job. They amount to an invitation to a longed-for lifestyle. Now, that is a wonderful example of what happens when we worship something. We're not just a consumer of something. We actually join into a brand, and we become part of that, and that identifies our meaning. I think I see this happen with sports teams. I mean, why is it that fully grown men will walk around with a jersey with the name of another man on the back and the number of another man on the back? Why? Because they have become not just customers of that team, but they have become loyal beyond reason. They are following it because they feel like they are part of it. If we're willing to do this with a product, with a sports team, or some other entity in our lives, how much more should we be willing to follow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? knowing that He has given us eternal life, knowing that we will never perish, knowing that we recognize His voice and we know Him and He knows us, knowing that no man can snatch us out of the Father's hands. I want you to know our very existence depends on Him. Because of that, we should have a lot of delight in worshiping Him. We ought to be devoted in worshiping Him. And then number three, there's also this duty of worshiping. Going back to Psalm 95, we discover that God has given us ears, and these ears are ears that are listening. And we're not talking about selective hearing. Uh, We're talking about ears that are receptive to the message that is being proclaimed, not blocking out certain things, but listening with intent. He also talks about opening up your eyes of your heart to hear what he says. So worship involves listening with the earnest desire to hear. It's like how you listen to somebody that you love. My son recently got married, and I am so happy to have a new daughter in love. And we love Sarah and Tyler, and they're such a blessing to our family. And I noticed the other day that my son Tyler and I were talking, and uh, we were going back and forth on our conversation. He was listening to me until he heard the voice of his new bride. Although I was speaking louder and I was closer to him, he was tuned into his bride. He listened to her. Her voice was even more important than my voice. And I got thinking about that for a minute. 
I said, you know, my son's 30 years old, and for 30 years, he's been listening to me and talking with me, and we've had a good relationship these 30 years, and all of a sudden, he's got a bride in his life. He's got a a new love in his life, a lifelong love in his life, and that voice takes precedence over my voice. The same is true in the duty of listening as we worship before God. Hearing God is more important than hearing anybody else's voice. It's even more important than hearing the preacher's voice. Hopefully, he's speaking on behalf of God, but he's not going to be infallible in giving you the message from God. And as we listen to God, it is a form of worship. Our duty is also to have hearts that are softening. Now, Jesus quotes Isaiah in Matthew 15, and he says what Isaiah says about The people were drawing near to him with their mouths and honoring him with their lips, but their heart was far from him. He says, in vain they worship me. Jesus is driving home. The same point that Isaiah was driving home was that we must have a tender heart for the things of God. Ears that are open to what he has to say to us, eyes that are able to see what he has to reveal to us, and then hearts that are tender for the things of God. That's a wonderful way to worship when you think about being sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes I pray that on Sunday morning, as we begin our services together, I says, Lord, would you allow us to be sensitive to the leading of your Spirit? I pray that right now, as you're listening to this message, that you'll be sensitive to what God is saying to you right now. That is part of the duty of worship, that we listen to the one we are worshiping, with our hearts becoming more sensitive to his message as we live in obedience. Well, there's something else we got to look at when it comes to the matter of worship. We take delight in worshiping Him. We are devoted to worshiping Him. It's part of our duty. And as we worship Him, we're listening with intent to follow through and obey. But there are some benefits to worshiping the Lord. Now, I put this as the last point, not the first, because as we look at this, as we are worshiping Him, we get a rest. We actually get a rest from hardness. We're living in a culture today that is a hard culture, right? And so the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, is quoted five times in Hebrews 3 and 4. So let's look at Hebrews 3, and uh, we'll look at a couple of verses here that talk about the rest that we have from our hardness when we worship the Lord. Hebrews 3, 7 says, and as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest." When you gather together corporately to worship with your church family this weekend, it gives you an opportunity to rest, to enter into God's rest. It's a melting of our hearts from the hardness of the culture in which we live in. That's why it's so important for us to gather weekly, gather throughout the week in groups so that we can rest from the hardness of the culture in which we're living in. It's a perfect kind of rest. But not only do we get rest from hardness, We also see that the writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8, and he does that in Hebrews 3, verses 13 and 15. We get a rest from hardness, but we also get a rest from discouragement. Are you discouraged today? Are you feeling a little bit down? Are you down in the dumps today? Do you need a word of encouragement? 
Ah, we are told in Hebrews 3 to encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold on to our original conviction firmly to the very end. As it has been said today, if you hear his voice, and this is the quote of the psalmist, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as they did in that time of rebellion. You see that little phrase, encourage one another as long as it is called today. That is happening as we gather together corporately to worship. We are actually encouraging one another. Somebody once said that the Baptist anthem is that passage in Hebrews that says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. What a great, powerful verse that is, challenging us to gather together. But that verse also talks about the purpose of gathering together is to encourage one another. You see, as we gather together, we all say corporately that God is God and I am not. Not only do we get a rest from the hardness of our culture, but we also have our spirits lifted up. We are able to be filled with courage once again. Uh, well, there's another benefit I see as we worship together. Not only do we have a rest from hardness, we have rest from discouragement, but we also have rest from our wandering. Psalm 95.11 is quoted in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And let me read the account in the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them. Why? Because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed entered that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. Here we see that as we worship the Lord, we no longer are wandering around in the wilderness. We're no longer wandering around in bondage. After 400 years of bondage in Egypt, the nation of Israel was finally free. They were free, but they were still wandering, still without a home, without security, without the hope of being helped. They had no reason to continue on. They were just wandering around, circling around in the wilderness. They were the wanderers. Oh, I think a lot of us from time to time find ourselves wandering around. We had the opportunity to have rest. We don't have to be wanderers. We can enter into the rest of God. There's another benefit of worshiping God, and worshiping with exuberance is that we are able to find rest from our labors. In Hebrews 4, 4, it says, For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his works. We see rest comes after work. Work hard, you complete the task, and then you can rest. Listen, when God finished, he rested. Maybe you're struggling to rest because you struggle to complete. Listen, work hard for six days. On the seventh day, rest from your labors through worship. And we discover there's another benefit of worshiping the Lord is that we are given rest from our guilt. You ever wonder 
why you can't get rid of guilt in your life? Now, the psalmist reminds us that they were battling guilt because they didn't worship. So in Hebrews chapter 4, we have uh, the re-emphasis of Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8, where, where Joshua, if he had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. He says, there remains then a Sabbath, a rest for God's people. You see, the context of this verse is very much referring to the loss of one's spiritual inheritance. The rest is symbolized by a failure of the Israelites to get into Canaan. They're at the borders looking in, and since they lost their faith, God denied an entire generation entry into the promised land. According to the book of Hebrews, there are three factors that we can consider, three key factors. First is the word today. Today and later in Scripture, and then we see second is that they were disobedient, they were cut off from that inheritance, and and finally, here they don't have the opportunity to rest. When I think about rest, all of us need rest from time to time, but we are stuck and we are prone to wanderer. Now, do you remember there's an old song that was actually entitled The Wanderer? Here's the lyrics of this song. Maybe it's a song that you can identify. It's an old song, but the lyrics go this way. Oh, well, I'm the type of guy who will never settle down. Where pretty girls are, well, you know that I'm around. I kiss them and I love them because to me they're all the same. I hug them and I squeeze them. They don't even know my name. They call me the wanderer. Yeah, the wanderer. I roam around, 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 around. And then the second verse goes like this. Oh, well, there's Flo on my left and there's Mary on my right. And Jeannie is the girl, well, that I'll be with tonight. And when she asks me which one I love the best, I tear over my shirt and I say, Rosie's on my chest because I'm the wanderer. Yeah, the wanderer. I roam around, around, around. Oh, yeah, I roam from town to town. I go through life without a care. And I'm as happy as a clown. I with my two fists of iron and I go nowhere. I'm the type of guy that likes to roam around. I go from one place to another. I roam from town to town. And I find myself falling for some girl. Yep, I hop right into the car of mine. I drive around the world. Yeah, I'm the wanderer. Yeah, I'm the wanderer. I roam around, 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 around. When I think about that song, I think about so many people that are living that way, just wandering around, around, around. You know, James talks about the double-minded man being unstable in all of their ways. I know many people who say, well, I'm going to settle down as soon as I get my next house, or I'm going to settle down as soon as I find my next job or my next career. Uh, maybe my next wife or my next husband will cause me to settle down, and, and maybe if I could find just the right church, then I could settle down. But they spend their lives wandering around and around and around, and they never seem to settle. They never seem to rest from their labors. They never seem to enjoy worship because they're wanderers. I want to encourage you today that you can find peace in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is a fact. Rest was won by Joshua, but it wasn't permanent or it wasn't complete. Joshua had got them right up to the edge of the the promised land. But most of that generation, all those who were 
younger than age 40, could not enter into the promised land. I'm sorry, all those who are older than the age of 40. As we look at Jewish theology, Jewish theology held that the promised land would not be permanently held until it was ruled by the Messiah. In other words, this rest is something still available to the children of God. It's important to see the application of the original readers of the book of Hebrews. And as we look at salvation today, salvation is our eternal reward, our eternal rest. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today? If you do, I invite you to worship the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I encourage you to enter into the rest that you have as you worship Him. And if I can help you in any way, please shoot me a text message at 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. You see, God hasn't designed us to be wanderers. He's designed us to have a relationship with Him, a relationship that will allow us to live in that peace that transcends all understanding. It's a whole new way of living a life. It's a life that is filled with joy and peace because our life is not based upon the circumstances that we're living right now. We supersede our circumstances by having a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. God bless you. I'm praying for you. If I can help you with anything, please shoot me a text at 252-267-2365. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.